From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. This is our weekly exploration, the Torah portion. Torah portion this week is Chukat, and we have a ton to get to. We're going to talk about disappearing clouds, and we're going to talk about disappearing water sources, and we're going to talk about Moses and Aaron and Miriam. We're going to talk about jobs, roles in life, missions in life, and how to know when yours has changed. All of that tonight here on Torah Studies. But first, let me tell you a little bit about the drama that is this week's parsha, Because in this week's Torah portion, there is a dramatic incident that is one of the most peculiar in the entire Torah. And the one that I'm referring to is the episode where Moses hits the rock. Moses hits the rock. No, this is not some WWE storyline. Although, someone get on that. Um, No, this is a biblical story where Moses hits the rock to produce water, which will get into the background of why he needed to produce water from the rock. Either way, he hits the rock, out comes water, and God says, Aha! Because you hit the rock and produced water, therefore you will not enter the land of Israel. You are banned for all time. You will not lead this generation into the promised land, into the holy land you will remain on the other side of the Jordan. There are many commentaries that discuss many different ideas as to what exactly Moses did wrong. What did Moses, he hit the rock, what's wrong with hitting a rock to produce water? It sounds miraculous, sounds like a good thing. If any one of us could produce water by hitting a rock, I would say this, kal hagavod, good on you mate, good on you mate, they would say in Australia. In other words, well done, you should charge for that because someone is going to pay for that. So, I mean, that's like, it would be a cool thing. And yet, we know in our tradition, the Torah tells us that Moses gets punished. Many different explanations as to what he did wrong. There's a commentary that says, I mentioned this today in Daily Power Parsha earlier today. Uh, Moses did one thing, ostensibly wrong, and the commentaries tell us that he did dozens of things wrong. Because depending on the commentary, you'll have another thing that he did wrong. Every commentary is trying to weigh in on what he did wrong, which means that ultimately you have a list of all these things that Moses did. So that is, by and large, the dramatic, dramatic episode of this week's Torah portion. But the reason why water was needed to be produced from the rock in the first place is because of the incident that happens that directly precedes that, which is the passing of Miriam. So what we're going to do is... Um, and I, listen, I'm hoping that the, the ready soon, maybe two more minutes. We're going to start with the text, text 1A. I'm going to read this. I'm going to put it up. Don't worry. Everyone in person, we're still waiting on some copies. I will read this, hopefully loud and clear, and everyone will be able to follow. Um, okay, so take a look at your screens or take a listen. I know, right? It would be so, so easy if we had it. Or, right, or you have to imagine, imagine there's a screen or... Listen to the to as I read the text. This is coming from Numbers chapter twenty, book of Numbers chapter twenty, and it is 
text 1a, verses 1 through 6 of that chapter. Here we go. Oh, and I should also mention that at this point in the Torah, the narrative shifts from the beginning of the 40 years to the end of the 40 years. So until now, we've been, you know, the, from the book of Exodus, you know, we, it talked, talks about Egyptian slavery, and then things got really bad, and then Moses hits the scene, he's born, and then he ultimately, at the age of 80, leads the people out of Egypt, and then we have all that drama that ensues with the, you know, the giving of the Torah at Sinai, the sin of the golden calf, and building the Mishkan, and then the sin of the spies, which we read about um, a few weeks ago. Anyway, bottom line is, all of that happened toward the beginning of the 40 years, which is uh, when the decree of 40 years of wandering came down. This is at the end of the 40 years. So fast forward about 39 years to the end of that period, and this is what happened. The entire congregation of the children of Israel arrived at the desert of Zin, Midbar Zin, desert of Zin, in the first month. And the people settled in Kadesh. Kadesh was a city. Miriam, listen to this carefully, Miriam died there and was buried there. So Miriam, who's Miriam? Miriam was the sister of Moses and Aaron. In fact, there were three siblings, Miriam, Aaron, Moses in that order. They were three years apart from each other. So when when Moses was born, Miriam was six, Aaron was three, and Moses was born six, three, zero, so they were three years apart. Now, Miriam dies, Miriam dies at the end of the 40 years. They're still in the desert. In this case, they were a different part of the desert in that region, desert of Zin, in the city of Kadesh. Miriam dies and is buried there. But take a look at what happens right afterwards. In verse number two, the, the congregation had no water. So they assembled against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and they said, if only we had died with the death of our brothers before God, why have you brought the congregation of God to this desert so that we and our livestock should die there? Why have you taken us out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place for seeds or for fig trees, grapevines or pomegranate trees, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron moved away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and they fell on their faces. Then the glory of God appeared to them. So what we have here, what we have here uh, um, is the story of the water crisis. So if this was a news broadcast, we would have like in the corner, like a little square that says, desert water crisis, right? Miriam dies, there's no water, the people complain, they gather, they quarrel, they quetch, right? Why'd you take us out? We're going to die. There's no food. There's no water. Well, there's no water to, for anything to grow, etc. And Moses and Aaron fall down and they, they, they plead with God, help. And God will appear and God appears. And then the end of the story, which again, I, that's how I started today's class is that God tells Moses, speak to the rock and Moses hits the rock and out comes water. And then God says, well, you hit the rock. And so therefore you're not going to go to Israel. Okay. But I want to deal with the, the obvious question. And it's a question in the narrative itself is what's the connection between the first verse and the second verse? The first verse says that Miriam died and was buried there. And the second verse says the congregation had no water. So they assembled against Moses and Aaron. What's the connection between Miriam dying and the very next verse? You got him? Only one? Oh, okay. Who wants the lucky, uh, the lucky first copy? Yes, Ray? Um, the connection is that everywhere that Miriam went, the well went with her, and now there's no water because she passed away. Oh, excellent. So you and Rashi think alike. Excellent. Take a look at text 1B. Excellent, Ray. Text 1B, Rashi says, 
You know what? We'll pass this around. We have one copy. So whoever's reading, we'll pass it around. Done. All right. Sandrine. Yeah. Sandrine, please read text 1B nice and loud. This is going to be page um, 176. At no water, from here we learn that all 40 years the well was available to the Jewish people in Miriam's marriage. Okay. So what does it mean that they didn't have water? Um, it means that because the moment that Miriam passed away, the well dried up. So, where, we, we, this begins with a, with, a, with a more basic question. Where did they have water? All 40 years in the desert, where did they get water from? The answer is, Be'era Shal Miriam. There was a well known as the well of Miriam. Be'era Shal Miriam, Miriam's well. There was a special well that traveled, as Ray mentioned a moment ago, that traveled around with the Jewish people. Wherever they went, there was a traveling well. Traveling, pretty cool. It's pretty cool. You remember those? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Do you remember those in-flight uh, magazines? Yes. The ones with the like you could buy um, Brookstone and like the other inspirational things. Yeah. So they always had the, the most unique items, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, ah, I'm at thirty thousand feet, but I really want this massage chair or so, like something like that's not even that unusual, but like something wild. It, they had. Um, did I say Brookstone? I think I said it already. Yeah, yeah. Sharper image. Like they had all these cool stuff. So I don't you never saw the traveling well uh, one? <laughs> it's like $4,990.99 with the traveling well wherever you go. Go camping. You get your traveling well with you. I was focused on the fingernail warmer. Oh, the f- <laughs> fingernail warmer. Yes. Okay. Huh? What? I have a question about that well. Yeah. Go ahead. Was it a well like it irrigate, yeah, excellent question. It was an irrigational well. Excellent question. The commentaries discusses at length. Basically, there was water that came from a rock. Okay, water that came from and that's how do rocks have water? Again, this was a miracle. The rock rolled with them as they traveled. First of all, they didn't, weren't traveling the whole time. They traveled on occasion. They traveled. It was a rock and roll. So the rock would move with the rock as they moved. When they traveled, the rock also moved with them. That produced water, and it produced so much water that it gushed into streams. They drank, they bathed, they had mikvahs based on it. It was, it was a, a, a very holy roller. It was a very um, abundant source of water. But, as the Torah tells us, as the Torah alludes, I mean, it pretty much tells us, if you read it like this, when Miriam died... The well dried up, no more water from the rock. And thus the people said, "Uh uh-oh, where is the water? How are we going to survive? And then they turned against Moses. So again, when you look at that first text, when you look at text 1a, and you look at the Torah's description, verse 1 and 2, Miriam died there and was buried there. The congregation had no water. What's the connection between Miriam's death and the congregation having no water? Suddenly they had no water? Yes, suddenly they had no water. Because the Be'erah Shal Miriam, the well of Miriam, was literally... or happened in the merit of Miriam when she died, no more water. Until Moses came along and was told, speak to the rock, he hit the rock, whatever it was, and he produced water, and then, thank God, they had water once again. But initially, it was in the merit of Miriam. You know, Miriam was associated with water. Um, when, well, her mother, and the mother, Yocheved, put Moses, but she was watching by the water, and she, was, you know, she had a connection with the water. So the, bearer, the well came in the merit of Miriam. Now, there is another story there is another story in this week's Torah portion about another passing. 
I mentioned that there were three siblings, Miriam, in this birth order, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. Later on in this week's Torah portion, we read about the passing of Aaron. Haron, the first high priest in Jewish history, brother of Moses, the brother of Miriam, the middle, middle uh, sibling, he also passes away. Remember, this is at the end of the 40 years of wandering. They're about to go into the land. Pretty much whoever is still around from that previous generation is at some point very soon going to pass away. So we read about the death of Moses. Sorry, not Moses. That's at the end of the Torah. Of the Torah. Miriam, her passing, and then Aaron's passing. And wouldn't you know it, something dramatic happens when Aaron passes away as well. Um, uh, Marnine, please read text 2A. Hold on, give me a second. Let me fast forward. Uh, let me forward it over here on the screen. Okay, and by the way, copies hopefully should be coming up in a minute. Our text 2A, where it says they travel from Kadesh. Okay. They travel from Kadesh, and the entire congregation of the children of Israel arrived at Mount Or. God spoke to Moses and Aaron at Mount Or on the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people. For he shall not come to the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you defied my word at the waters of dispute. Take Aaron and Eliezer his son and ascend Mount Or. Strip Aaron of his garments and dress Eliezer his son with them. Then Aaron shall be gathered in and of his people and, and die there. Moses did as God commanded him. They ascended Mount Hor to the presence of the entire congregation. Thank you, and thank you. So what we have here is the narrative that um, basically talks about the passing of Aaron. Now remember, Miriam passes away by the place called Kadesh, or Kadesh Barnea. That's where Miriam passes away. Well, they went from Kadesh to Har Hahar, Mount Har. And that's where God tells Moses and Aaron that Aaron will pass away. He's going to go up on top of the mountain. He's going to go with his son. He'll remove his high priest garments, dress his son. In other words, pass the, the high priesthood to his son, and then he will pass away. And he did. And that's exactly what happened. They ascended the mountain, and the story continues that Aaron passed away. Okay, so we read about, again, in this week's Torah portion, the passing of two of the greats, uh, Miriam and then Aaron. Take a look at what happens shortly after Aaron's passing. Take a look at what happens after Aaron's passing. Text 2B. Um, Joel, read this one, please. Give me one second. Let me put it up on the screen. Text 2B, page 178. The Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the south, heard that Israel had come by the route of the spies, and he waged war against Israel and took from them a captive. So what happens is... The Canaanite king of Arad hears about the travels of Israel, i.e. the Jewish people, and he wages war against them, and he took a captive. And then it goes that the Jews fought back in battle to regain the captive, a whole, a whole story. It's not time to get into the details of that story. But the curious mind might ask the question, once again, about juxtaposition, what's the connection between Aaron's death and this war? Think about it. Suddenly, the Jewish people are attacked. They hadn't been attacked in years. 
40 years, there were no attacks. I mean, after they got out of Egypt, there was a Malik attack. There were, some, there were some skirmishes that happened. But for the entire 40 years of the wandering, there's no mention of any attack by any foreign entity. In fact, the Torah just fast forwards over those 40 years. We don't even know what happened in the bulk of those years. And suddenly now, the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the south, by the way, this was a Malik. They, they were pretending to be Canaanites, but it was really Amalek, according to the commentaries. They were because they thought that the Jews would pray to be saved from the Canaanites, but really they're Amalekites, so the prayers wouldn't be effective. But the Jews sniffed, you with me on this? Mm-hmm. They thought that they would get the signals crossed. But anyway, the point is, the point is that this nation attacks the Jewish people. Why suddenly now? And again, note the juxtaposition. We read in the Torah about Aaron's passing, and the very next story is about being attacked. What's the connection between Aaron passing and the attack? Text to C. Charna, please read this one. The Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the south, heard. What report did he hear? He heard that Aaron had died and that the clouds of glory had withdrawn from the Jewish people, and he thought that he had been granted permission to wage war against the Jewish people. And this is... As it is written, and all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, and they wept for Aaron thirty days, all the house of Israel. About this, Rabbi Abuhu Abahu said, Do not read the verse as, And they saw, Vayiru, rather read it as, And they were seen, Vayiru, by others because the cover of the clouds of glory had been removed from them. Thank you very much. The Talmud, Tractate Rosh Hashanah, says something unbelievable. Again, it's all about the juxtaposition. It's all about the proximity of the stories in the Torah. The Torah tells us a story about Aaron's passing. And right afterwards, they were attacked. Makasha, what's the connection? Well, what happened when... You know what, Marnie, take a stable copy. It'll make it easier in your life. <laughs> upgrade. Upgrade to the stable version. Um... Get it together. Yeah, it's already done. So what happens? What happens is that when Aaron dies, <clears throat> the clouds of glory that were surrounding the Jewish people, the clouds of glory, disappeared, and thus they were seen by the nation, by Amalek in this case. They were seen to be vulnerable, and that's why the nation attacked at this moment. So understand this. Understand this. Now, what we've read so far, what we've learned, deciphered from the verses, is that there were two major miracles, major miracles, that sustained the Jewish people throughout their 40 years in the desert. Remember, the desert is not a place where people live. Um, I mean, uh, what's that? Burning Man notwithstanding, you can't live. I mean, Burning Man is Burning Man. Right, right. Burning Man is a, is a, is a party, but like, you can't live back then, certainly not. You don't live in a desert not a thing it's not a place to be and yet the jews lived there millions strong for 40 years how'd they do it the answer is they had a miraculous well of water and they had clouds that were protecting them well guess what the the, the well was in the merit of miriam when she died the water dried up and then it came back whatever and then the clouds were in the merit of aaron and then when he died they dissipated and then they were attacked by this nation the canaanite really amalek whatever they were attacked you guys with me on this? Yes, so far so good? So here's my question, a very simple question. Actually, no, before we get to the question, let's take a look at text number three. What did the clouds do? What was the functionality of the clouds? I mean, today we talk about things being in the cloud. It's like, oh, uh, where are your files? In the cloud. 
Uh, where's the accounting take place? In the cloud, right? Microsoft Office, <laughs> do we have a local copy or is it in the cloud, right? NFTs, crypto, blockchain, where is it? No one knows, but also in the cloud. Take a look at text number three. Here we have a, ver sorry, a mechilta, a medrash, that tells us about the function and the purpose and the utility of the clouds. Take it away, Elio. The Egyptians, steeped in darkness, saw Israel in the light, eating, drinking, and rejoicing. And they shot arrows and projectiles upon them, and the cloud and the angel protected them. This is from the book of Exodus, the Midrash on Exodus 14, Shemot 14. And this is talking about when the Jews had left Egypt and the Egyptians were pursuing, remember? Remember they chased after the Jewish people and they trapped them against the sea? Yeah, they trapped against the sea. So what happens? The Egyptians saw Israel in the light, eating, drinking, and rejoicing. They shot arrows, but the cloud and the angel protected them. So the cloud was a cloud of protection. And when Aaron died, what happened was the cloud vanished. And then when the cloud vanished, that's when they were attacked because the nation saw that, they, that their protection, that the Jews' protection had been lifted. And so they thought, what a great time to attack. God forbid, right? The Jewish people, and they attacked. That's what happened. So what we see here is, again, just to summarize, the well of Miriam, the clouds of glory of Aaron. In other words, the merit of Miriam brought the well. The clouds came in the merit of Aaron. When she died, no more water. When he died, no more clouds. When she died, the people panicked until they went to Moses and complained, and then Moses got word from God and hit the rock, and the water came back. What about the clouds? What about the clouds? We don't see that the people panicked about the clouds. Question is, why not? Why didn't the people create a whole brouhaha? Where are my clouds? Where are the clouds are gone? We feel very vulnerable. Why did the people not lose it in you know anxiety? Why did they not get very frightened without the clouds? Are you with me on the question? They got they panicked about the what? Now you might say like this. Okay, you might say that look, water is way more basic than shelter, right? I mean, there are three basic needs, food, water, and shelter. They got this right? Yeah, clothing, food, water, clothing. Food, water, shelter, yeah. something like that. Oh, food, no, food, clothing, and shelter. Food, clothing, and shelter. Yeah, well, food, I mean water. Yeah, we're just, we're gonna just supplant this for a second. So food, yeah, food, water. So basically you can't live without water. So maybe you might say that, well, what happened was when there's no water, of course the people like, panicked because how are you going to live without water in the desert when the clouds disappeared okay at least we have each other i mean at least we have water and food because the you know the wall came back after you hit the rock so maybe that's why they didn't panic but we're going to get to a much deeper understanding of what exactly went on with the clouds and aaron and we're also going to get to a deeper understanding of why the clouds were connected with aaron in the first place what's the connection between aaron and the clouds okay all coming up but first we need to look at the clouds we need to take a deep look a deeper look at the clouds and understand what the nature of this miracle was in the first place, what actually happened with the cloud cover. Okay, let's do this. Yes? Um, what was Aaron's sin? And um, also, I was just curious about the well, about I mean, the water. Was it just to well you're asking about Aaron's sin is that the first question you asked yeah so so we didn't mention that Aaron sinned uh, but you might be asking why did Aaron die is that the question what's the question based on Aaron will not enter the land because uh, you sinned against me at the 
Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, right, because you defined my word, the waters of dispute. Yeah. Aaron was there when the rock was hit instead of being spoken to. So on a simple, on a simple level, Aaron was part of hitting the rock. On a deeper level, the commentators say that Aaron really was at this point getting, you know, not going into Israel because of the sin of the golden calf that he was involved with. But it took this, this was the final story, episode, provocation, whatever, but really was about the golden calf. Uh, there's different, there's a lot of different, it's a good question. That's why I asked you why you're asking the question. I was wondering like what triggered it, but I see it's in the verses. Um, there's a lot of commentaries on what exactly, first of all, on what Moses did wrong with hitting the rock, who cares if he speak or hit the rock. And second of all, what Aaron did he doesn't seem to have, have hit the rock, but he was there. Number one and number two, it's really a callback for his role in the sin of the golden, the golden calf, where he basically advised him to throw the gold into the fire, etc. Now, the second question about the water going into twelve streams, I don't, I don't remember that as being a tradition. It could be. Um, I know that when the when the water split, it's splitting of the sea. It's split into twelve different channels. Each tribe went on their own channel. But I don't know if the the well itself also divided. It would make sense that it divided into each of the tribe tribal areas, but we would have to look that up in more detail. All right. Yes. Mom. Okay. My question is this. I had all those other questions, too, about what that, what in the world did Aaron do that he could not. Okay. But my big question is, didn't Moshe know that there was no water? Why did they have to go to him to complain? And so awful with such terrible complaints what, what kind of i mean wasn't he a leader didn't he know uh a good question i don't know you're saying why did he wait for the people to come to him why didn't he i i don't know he was supposed to be taking care of them yeah <laughs> why did they have to come it's, to him it's a good point? question i don't know i don't know you have to look up the commentaries and see i'm sure it's discussed i'm sure okay. probably in the many commentaries on what he actually did wrong it's probably some somehow in that narrative but I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus okay. on the clouds okay. right now. Let's take a look at text 4a. And Linda, please read text 4a because what we want to do now is piece together a story or piece together an understanding of what the clouds really were and what was the role that they served. Text 4a. Linda, please take it away. So that your ensuing generations should know that I had the children of Israel live in booths when I took them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So what is this verse? Thank you. What is the verse from Leviticus saying? It's talking about the mitzvah of, who knows what this is talking about? What, what mitzvah do we do in booths? Sukkot. Sukkah, oh. right, Sukkot. It says, why do you build the sukkah and live in it for a week on the holiday of Sukkot? What's the, so that you should know that the children of Israel lived in booths when I took them out of Egypt. And the, everyone understands, what's the simple understanding of this? What does it mean that the Jewish people lived in booths? Simple, the simple understanding is that they lived in huts, huts, which is why we build a hut, which is why we build a hut. They lived in huts. Take a look at Rashi. Text 4B. Linda, please read one more. 4B, Rashi clarifies. I had the children of Israel live in booths. These were the clouds of glory. Boom. Look at that. Not literal booths, spiritual booths. In other words, so the Torah says, build a sukkah. Because I had the Jews live in booths in Sukkot when they left Egypt. What kind of booths? So you would think like a literal booth. They lived in a booth. 
temporary dwelling. We live in a temporary dwelling. Yes, but that's not exactly how Rashi explains it. Rashi says, no, it's not literal booths. It means anani hakov, clouds of glory. The Jews for 40 years were surrounded by clouds of glory. That's why we celebrate Sukkot. Listen to this cool idea. We celebrate Sukkot, Sukkot, the holiday of the festival booths, and we build a sukkah in our backyard, front yard, porch, whatever it is. We build a sukkah to commemorate what? The clouds of glory. Very cool, right? We commemorate these clouds of glory that were surrounding the Jewish people. Let's take, it another, let's take a look at another Rashi that speaks about more details of the cloud. Um, let's go around one more time. Why not? Sandrine, please read text 5. Um, this is about the cloud again. Continue. The cloud of God was above them. Seven clouds are recorded in the account of their trouble. Four from the four sides, one above, one below, and one in front of them that could flatten the highlands, <coughs> raise their hollows, and destroy snake and scorpion. It's fantastic. Rashi says there's seven mentions of clouds. Seven, seven mentions of clouds to tell us that there were seven clouds. What are the seven clouds? Again, these were protective clouds. So four from the four sides. So there was a, an eastern, where is east? East is back here. An eastern cloud, a western cloud, a northern cloud, a southern cloud. So four clouds. Then a top cloud, bottom cloud. You ever um, see those like commercials for those insoles? It's like you're walking on a cloud. For 40 years, they were walking on a cloud. How cool is that? There was a cloud beneath them and above them and all four sides. It's great, living in the cloud. And then there was even more. There was a cloud that traveled in front, a seventh cloud, seven clouds, six so far, plus one that went in front of them to flatten out the hills, the mountains, right? To lift the land, to lower the land. This did, this did um, grading of the desert. Killed the snakes and scorpions. It's Kvaltic. It would be great to have uh, one of those. You know, we have a, there's a modern example. When you're driving on the highway at a high rate of speed, not recommended by the way, but when you're driving at a high rate of speed above the speed limit, and you're like, oh, am I gonna get pulled over or not pulled over? And then you see a car really speeding, and you're like, okay, that's gonna be my lead car. I'm gonna go right behind that car and go a little bit slower, and then if anyone gets pulled over, it's that car, and then of course they pull over the second car, and you're like, oh man, missed it again, Newman. Anyway, but the point is, the point is that, um, you had your lead car, your lead cloud. That's, you always had your lead cloud. In the desert, they had six clouds plus a lead cloud. The lead cloud would take the heat, literally and figuratively. It would flatten things, kill scorpions and snakes, poisonous things. It would just take care of business before the Jews got there. Seven clouds in total. It's fantastic. Let's read more about the cloud. Can't get enough about these clouds. These clou- Again, all these clouds came in the merit of one man, Aaron. Very cool. Because when he died, remember the clouds? Okay, now take a look at text 6a. Text 6a tells us more about the clouds. This is from the Torah itself, not a medrash, from the Exodus itself. Marnie, please read this one. So Moses said to Joshua, take men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Moses tells Joshua, this is the first battle against Amalek. He says, go out and fight Amalek. Go out and fight. What's go out? Go out where? They were outside in the desert. We didn't go out and fight a mullet. Take a look at 6B. Marnine, one more. 6B, we'll look at what Rashi says. Go out and fight. Go out of the cloud and fight. Them. Rashi says, you know what it means to go out and fight? Get out of the cloud and fight a mullet. How crazy is that? They were in a cloud, surrounded by clouds. So he says, go out 
of the cloud and fight Amalek. So what we see here is that there were these clouds that protected them from all sides. But I, this was all a setup. Sorry guys, this was all a setup because in truth, if you look very closely, there's two different types of clouds. And I'm gonna point these out to you. Take a look, look back, look back at text 4a. Sorry, take a look at 4b. Look at the end of 4b. Uh, what were the booths that we commemorate with the sukkah? These were clouds of glory. These are called anani kavod, clouds of glory. Then you have the other mentions. Don't talk about clouds of glory. They talk about clouds. Take a look at text 5. Seven clouds. Take a look at 6a, or 6b, sorry. Get out of the cloud, which prompts the Rebbe to say and to um, conclude that there were actually two types of of clouds. There were clouds, stam, in other words, without any description, clouds, and then clouds of glory. And there's a difference in functionality between the clouds and the clouds of glory. And you're probably wondering, what is the difference between clouds and clouds of glory? Well, before I read the text, you know, you can read it inside yourself, but before we read the text together, I want to ask a very simple question. When we just read about clouds, seven clouds protect, protect, uh, surrounding the Jewish people. If I ask you, based on these texts, what was the role of the clouds? What would you say? The role of the clouds. Why were the clouds there? What were they doing? Protection. Protection. He, listen, listen carefully to the words, the second, uh, the second type of clouds. Clouds of glory. Do they sound protective or something else? Clouds of glory. What is glory? Kavod. What does kavod mean? Honor. Honor, respect, glory. What would the clouds of glory do? What do you think their function is? Protection or something else? Oh, yeah. Deterrent. What else? To kind of proclaim God's greatness. Kind of like. To proclaim that God is with the Jewish people. These were spiritual clouds that indicated that God was with the Jewish people. So there's two clouds. One, I mean, two sets of clouds. One set of clouds was very utilitarian. It's like this will, this is a buffer. It's protection, safety, security, etc. The second set of clouds, and we don't know how many there were in that second set, were clouds of glory. Clouds that said, hey, this people are special people. These are a special, this is a special nation watched over by God. Now, again, this is not my insight. This is the Rebbe based on commentaries, many more that we did not pull in this text uh, or in this, in, this, in this lesson. Take a look at text 7a. Um, Joel, please read this one. Text 7a from the Rebbe's teachings. There's a simple difference between just clouds and clouds of glory. The, later, the latter is to be understood literally, namely, namely their entire purpose was to demonstrate the honor and glory of the Jewish people. In other words, there was just one set of clouds whose purpose was to protect and provide <coughs> Jewish people with their basic needs. Through these clouds, though so. these clouds also demonstrated the Jews' honor, they weren't dedicated for that purpose. And there was another set of clouds whose purpose was exclusively to demonstrate, demonstrate the Jews' honor, namely just how much God honors the Jewish people. Thank you. So again, there's two, there's two sets of clouds. Clouds and clouds of glory. Clouds were for protection. Pr protection and providing the Jewish people with their basic needs. In other words, uh, to make sure it's not too hot, to make sure it's comfortable, to flan... To, to get rid of the, the dangerous snakes and scorpions, all the stuff that we talked about before. So one set of clouds was very much about safety and security. The other set of clouds was another declaration. It was saying basically God is with these people. 
How cool is that that there's a divine cloud hanging out with the people? That was, the, that was the, that, that, those are clouds of glory that proclaim the glory of the Jewish people, namely that God, and, and, and by declaring that God was with them. Okay? So, now we can understand what happened when Aaron passed away. Let's think about it. What happened when Aaron passed away? Which clouds disappeared? Which, which set of clouds? The clouds of glory. Oh, but they were still protected. Clouds of glory. But what did Amalek think? Again, it was not Canaan, it was Amalek. What did Amalek think? Let's get to the psychology. Amalek saw that the clouds of glory disappeared. So what did they think? Well, or they thought, either they thought that, that God is the grace of God is no longer upon them, which makes them a little bit vulnerable, right? So even though they had another set of clouds, but we can, we can pierce that cloud somehow. We can somehow get in. So as long as they felt that God's glory was upon the Jewish people, they're untouchable. But when the, when God's, when the clouds of glory disappeared, then they felt they could start up. Now, obviously, they weren't successful. They felt they could start up. But this answers our question before. Remember our question earlier? The question was, when Miriam died and the water and the well dried up, the people panicked. But when Aaron died and the clouds disappeared, how come they didn't panic? You know what the answer is? Because they still had the basic set of clouds. You with me on this? That's why they didn't panic. Again, there were two sets of clouds the whole time. They had a basic set of clouds, a, protect, a, a, a cloud protection, and glory clouds. So when Aaron died, the glory clouds disappeared, but the protection still was still there. So the people didn't panic. That's, that explains it. Again, let's see this in the, in the words of the Rebbe. Please read this Charna, text 7b, on page 183. The language used for the clouds that departed after Aaron's death is, the clouds of glory departed. In other words, the only clouds that departed were those whose exclusive function was to demonstrate the Jews' honor, but not the clouds that provided the Jews with their basic needs. It was the clouds of glory that did not return. Accordingly, it's readily understood why the Jewish people didn't have any qualms <coughs> about the clouds of glory as they did with Miriam's well. Right, so the Rebbe explains that's why they didn't panic when Aaron died. When Aaron died, they didn't go into a panic like they did with Miriam. When Miriam died, they had no water. Basic need was gone. When Aaron died, they still had clouds of protection. All they lost, clouds of glory. I so then why did Amalek attack if they still had the protection? Because he thought if God is not with them, he can, he can somehow get through the clouds and somehow pierce the defenses. Make sense? Okay, so hopefully by now, we have a clear understanding of what's going on. And all of our answers, sorry, all of our questions should be answered. So just to recap, before we get into the final act, which is absolutely exquisite. So before, before we move on, just, just a very quick recap so we have everything clear. The great tzaddikim and prophets of Miriam and Aaron, they were the ones in whose merit, respectively, there was a well of water and clouds of glory, clouds of glory, of God's honor. In Miriam's merit, we had water back in the day, and in Aaron's merit, we had the clouds of glory. When Miriam died, no water. And people, therefore, panic. No water, right? Can't, can't go on without water. They panic. When Aaron died, they had no clouds of glory, but they still had basic clouds. So therefore, the people didn't panic. But Amalek thought they could still start up, but they lost, etc. And all was, hey, welcome. Good to see you. You made it. Um, 
and, and the clouds of, of protection were also provided by God. So yeah, for sure. Clouds of protection were provided by God, and they had right, and they had that, and so it was still okay. So they, the people didn't panic. Yeah. So what we've seen here is that again, we have two great leaders in whose merit uh, the Jewish people had certain. Um, I don't know what you would call them, benefits, not really benefits, uh, miracles happened to them. The, the well of Miriam and the clouds of glory of, uh, and the merit of Aaron, when each of them died, those items disappeared and one came back. The other one either did or didn't come back, as we'll see soon. Um, the Talmud actually says it did come back, but at least the people didn't panic in the meantime. Okay, um, do we need another copy? Yeah, we got you covered. Okay, now, now, let's take a look at the Talmud. The Talmud adds a plot twist over here. The Talmud adds a plot twist. I'm going to read the piece of Talmud, text number eight, and I'll throw in a little bit of commentary as we go along. Okay? All right, so uh, hopefully everything is simple and everything is clear, and now we can just move on to text eight. Talmud tractate Tainit. Rabbi Yossi, son of Rabbi Yehuda, says, listen to this, three good sustainers rose up for the Jewish people during the exodus from Egypt. And they are, who are the three great sustainers? Listen to that language, sustainers. They are Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And three good gifts were given from heaven through their agency. And they are the well of water, Miriam, the clouds of glory, not the protection, the clouds of glory, Aaron, and the manna. We have not talked about the manna tonight. But according to the Talmud, according to our tradition, the manna, was the third miracle. We had water, clouds of glory, and food, manna, and that came in the merit of Moses. So, and the Talmud spells it out. We don't have to postulate. We don't have to theorize. It's right here. The well was given to the Jewish people in the merit of Miriam. The clouds of glory was in the merit of Aaron. And the manna in the merit of Moses. When Miriam died, again, Talmud's just helping us recap. When Miriam died, the well disappeared. But the well returned in the merit of both Moses and Aaron. They hit the rock, it came back, there was water again. When Aaron died, the clouds of glory disappeared. The people didn't panic because they still had clouds, but it disappeared. However, listen to this, both the well and the clouds of glory returned in the merit of Moses. In other words, the clouds of glory disappeared when Aaron died, but they came back ultimately, they came back eventually in the merit of Moses. However, this is the, the, the culmination of this Talmudic piece, when Moses died, all of them disappeared. All three disappeared and never came back. As it is stated in Zechariah, and I cut off the three shepherds in one month. But did the three shepherds really die in one month? Didn't Miriam die in the month of Nisan, Aaron and Av and Moses and Adar? They didn't die in the same month. What does it mean all three shepherds in one month? Rather, this verse teaches us that with the death of Moses, the three good gifts that were given through their agency were annulled and all three gifts disappeared in one month, which made it seem as though all three leaders had died at the same time. So they really didn't die at the same time, but the three miracles disappeared all at once. Because again, Miriam dies first, but then the well comes, and the well disappears, and then it comes back. And then Aaron dies, and the clouds of glory disappear, but then it comes back. And then Moses died, and all three disappear and never come back. And understand this that when Aaron died, it was right before the Jews entered the land of Israel. Entering the land of Israel, they had no more clouds, they had no more miraculous water, and they had no more bread from heaven. What they have to do? Go find a lake and a stream and drink. 
and go plant some food or buy some food. I mean, just they lived a normal existence. The moment they crossed over into the promised land, they lived a normal existence. No more clouds, no more miraculous water, no more miraculous bread from heaven. So when Moses died, all three miracles ceased. That was when they entered the land of Israel under the leadership of Joshua. With me so far? Okay. Now, here's the question. Here's the question. Why exactly are the clouds of glory connected with Aaron and the manna connected with Moses? Understand my question? Mm-hmm. We, said, we could ask really why the well with, uh, um, of water with Miriam, but let's, I mentioned the little thing, her and water had a connection, but what's the connect, we'll, we'll, we're not gonna focus on, on her and the well right now. Question that we're gonna ask now is, what's the connection between Aaron and the clouds of glory? That, it was in his merit that the clouds of glory, you know, uh, um, happened. And Moses and the manna, what's, what, what conception? So to this, I go back to my, uh, to, to, the, to, some of the, to something that I mentioned earlier, not that long ago. Um, the difference between food, manna was food, and the clouds of glory were shelter. I mean, the clouds of glory really were about God's protection, but it's really, but it's still an encompassing element, shelter. What's the difference between food and shelter? I know there's a lot of difference. You can't eat your house. You eat food. I get it. But tell me, uh, both are needs. But what's 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 one difference between food and shelter? I have an idea. Yeah, Sarah. That food you absorb. Good. Ingest, but shelter is external. Excellent. Food goes inside, and the shelter remains outside. Now, there's really two types of shelter. Because clothing could also be considered a form of shelter, but clothing is tailored to the person. Whereas a home, like a, like a, a structure or a, a larger shelter, is not tailored to the individual, which means, which, which opens up another element. Not only does one go inside and one stays outside, food goes inside and the clouds of glory remain outside, but additionally, or maybe just tweaking that a drop, food is an individual experience Whereas the shelter is a collective experience. Does that make sense? Look, all of us in this room are in the same room. We're having a collective experience in this room. But when we eat, everyone digest. even if we ate from the same original loaf of babka, everyone ate a different piece. Are you with me on this? Now you might say, but everyone's having a different experience in the room. But it's the same room, same house, same building that's surrounding everyone. Whereas the food is individualized. So listen to this. Listen to this explanation based on Chassidus and Kabbalah and the Rebbe's understanding. That's why the clouds, remember that book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? Clouds are from Aaron and Mana is from Moses. Why? Why? Listen to this. Because Aaron was more about bigger picture and like clouds of glory. Aaron was bigger picture and Moses was more individualized. Let me explain. What was Moses' job before he was the leader of the people? He was a shepherd. You know what a shepherd has to do? Take care of every single sheep. He was detailed. Right. There's a, yeah. It's like micro and macrocosm. Right. So right, there is a macro. There is a macro. There is a flock in general. But his specialty, and that's how he met God at the burning bush, because he was chasing after one little sheep that ran away. 
and he chased after. Oh, I didn't realize that you were thirsty because he was by the water, whatever. So it's all about, it's all about the individual experience. It's all about a very individualized experience. Moses was a leader, very individualized, very detail-oriented. Wasn't there some, uh, some line uh, when they talk about Moses, the shepherd, uh, regarding him like looking after every sheep? Yes. Somewhere? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's scripture about this. Moses, the shepherd, shepherd looking after every sheep. Exactly. And then Aaron, Aaron was, again, we have to, you know, just... You hear me out on the, on the concept. Aaron was more of a big picture. Why do I say that? He loved everyone. He loved, no matter who you are, what you did, he loved you. He was always about peace and finding the best, seeing the best in everyone. No matter what you did, Aaron loved you. He had a friend in Aaron, which means he didn't look with a microscope and say, ah, what did you do? Moses was more about the individual. Still with, with kindness, of course, leading with kindness, but Moses was more looking at the individual. You know, there are different types of people. Some people love to give and be generous indiscriminately. Some people love, like, yeah, sure, everyone gets, no big deal, right? And we're like, Oprah, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. It's not like, do you need a car? Do you have a car, right? Do you already? It's not. Everybody gets a car. Everyone gets a car. Aaron says, everyone gets a car. Aaron, I, I, I love you, I love you, I love you. Right, the famous teaching about Aaron. Aaron loved peace, pursued peace. He loved the creatures, brought them close to the Torah. He loved everybody, indiscriminately. That's like cloud. It's like everybody's, everybody's encompassed with the hug. Right, the cloud of glory means God loves you. That's the cloud of glory. It's a divine hug. It's not protection, it's God loves you. Aaron was also in that mode. Aaron loved everyone. Aaron's like, I love you. Don't matter, doesn't matter what you did, who you are. I love you. Come, come to the Fabrenga. He was also concerned about the collectiveness of, of, of Israel. Because of the peace, right. He was always trying to broker peace between people, make sure the achdos, exactly. Trying to broker peace. That's a collective. So in his merit, what springs up in his merit? The clouds of glory, God's indiscriminate love, God's collective love. Great. Clouds and Aaron are connected. What about Moses? Moses was more about an individualized experience. Moses was, how you doing? Not how y'all, how y'all doing. Am I mixing Jersey and the South? Is this South Jersey? I feel like this is a reality show. Jersey Shore or something. Yeah, Mark. Mark is driving. Yes. Be safe. Absolutely. When the manna arrived, when the children of Israel were blessed with it, Moses instituted the mitzvah. Of saying Birkat. Yes. The first paragraph of the Birkat he wrote, eat, be satisfied, give thanks to Hashem. Good. So he, so from then, what I gather is Moses made the giving of food from Hashem a two way experience. That not just that we get, but we bless God and say thank God for what we were given. Excellent. Beautiful. Right. Moses is all about the eats, which is an individual experience. That's why he institutes Birkat Amazon, the blessing after meal. Moses was the first one that instituted that. The blessing that we read, Baruch Hashem. Moses taught that. He, 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 he composed that blessing. Yeah, that God takes care of every creature individually. And with the mana also, we know that it fell in different ways for different people. In fact, let's take a look at some texts over here. Right, we're going to wrap up in just a few minutes in case anyone's getting a little antsy. It's going to be just another few minutes. Take a look. At text number 9, I'll read this one as well. The verse states, And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. That's one verse. 
And it's written a second verse, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. A third verse, it's written, and the people went about and gathered it. How can these texts be reconciled? The first one implies that the manna fell to them. The second one implies they just had to go out. The third one says they went about. So was it at their doorstep? Did they have to go out of the door, or did they have to <coughs> search for it? So the, the Talmud answers, for the righteous, the manna fell to the opening of their homes. The average people, the Bainanim, went out and gathered what fell. And the wicked had to go about further, farther together. With regard to the manna, it's written also th another three differences. Bread, cakes, and ground in mills. So then how can we reconcile these texts? For the righteous, it fell as baked bread. It was ready to go. For average people, it fell as unbaked cakes. For the wicked, it came in an unprocessed form, and consequently, they grounded in mills, which means that the manna was not a collective experience. The clouds of glory, God saying, I love all of you, no matter what, I love all of you. That's in the merit of Aaron. Aaron said the same thing. Aaron lived his life by saying, I love all of you. So in his merit, the clouds where God said, I love all of you, came. Moses says, I love you, but tell me about yourself. Right? <clears throat> Moses says, I love you, but let's under I'm a shepherd. I'm your shepherd. I need to know you as a sheep. Tell me about yourself. Right? How you doing? Where do you come from? Where are you going? Where do you come from? Where do you go? What do you, where are you coming from? Where are you going? Who are you? Like, what do you need? What are your individual needs? And the mana, in his merit, the mana fell, which was the same thing. For some people it fell there, for some people it fell there, for some people it fell baked, for some people it fell unbaked. Everyone had a different experience. So Moses, Moses was about, you know, we spoke about this last week, even two weeks ago, differentiation, equality, differentiation. Everyone, everything has its mileage, everything has its advantages. There's an advantage of saying, I love everything. There's an advantage of looking with different, differentiation and diversity. Everyone has this advantage. Aaron was the type of guy who says, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you're doing. I love you. You're a creature of God. I love you. I'm not going to look at you with a magnifying glass. I'm not going to look into your spiritual bank account. I love you. You're beautiful. You're kosher. You're gewaldic. You're a tzaddik. Love you. That's Aaron. Clouds of glory. Done. Moses, let's talk. Let, let me get to know you. Mana, let me get to know you. Everyone gets a different mana experience. That's the difference in general between food and shelter. Food is my food, your food. It's a different gastronomical experience. Whereas shelter, we're in the same building, under the same roof. It's not like the building is treating any of us differently. We're all freezing when it gets cold, <laughs> and we're all hot when it gets hot, right? So the same experience. It's a collective. So again, Aaron is the collective, and Moses the, the, the individual experience. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. So that's why one had one and one had the other. All of this leads to the final question, which I'm going to answer very quickly. The final question is a bombshell question. What do we read in the Talmud before? Talmud says that when Aaron died, the clouds of glory stopped, which makes sense because it was his personality. But then, in the merit of Moses, it came back. In the merit of Moses, it came back, but Moses is a totally different personality. Moses is the individual personality. The clouds of glory represented a love that's indiscriminate, that's, that's unconditional. When I say unconditional, it means I'm not looking at who you are and what you did. I love you anyway, right? It's like the Chabad of clouds. It's like, come in, whoever, wherever. It doesn't make a difference. Come on in. We love you. Ready to go. But when Aaron died and Moses was the only one left, no Miriam, no Aaron, just Moses. But Moses was a sh the shepherd. How'd you get clouds? You know what the answer is? That when Aaron left this world, guess what Moses had to do? Pick up his, uh, he had to pick up his role also. Yeah. He had to pick up the role of Aaron. Are you with me on this? He had to be the Aaron. You know why? It says like this. But Makom Shein Ish, 
When there's no man around, it doesn't mean gender specific. When no one's around, you got to be that person. That's the lesson of today's class. Aha! You like that one. Yeah. When there's no Aaron, until now you had a tag team. He loved everybody and I gave people individual guidance. But now he's gone. Guess what? Someone's got to do the loving. And that's got to be you. You with me on this? You with me on this? Someone's got to do the loving. And now it's Moses' job. What's the lesson in life? You know, we have our... We, we have our ideas of what our role is. Like, this is my job, and this is my personality, and it fits, and this is what I do, and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Life is not so simple. Sometimes there's no one else to do it. And you know what, you know what we do then? Got to step up. Got to step up. Got to step up. The Rebbe said so many times, person says, listen, I'm a scholar. I'm not an activist. I'm not the type of guy to go out on the streets and ask people, are you Jewish? Do you want to wrap tefillin? Do you want some Shabbat candles? It's not my, it's not my thing. I'm not the guerrilla street Judaism guy. I'm not the activist. I, I'm going to study Torah all day. And the Rebbe says, but there's people that will never step into a synagogue and study Torah with you. So how about them? Who's going to worry about them? Yeah, but that's not my thing. You don't, you don't have the luxury of having a thing. Are you with me on that? The Rebbe says, you don't have a luxury. You don't have the luxury of having a thing. That's not my thing. Who gave you the right to have a thing? I have a thing. Moses could have said, I, it's not my thing. I, that's Aaron's thing. He's no longer here. What are you going to do? The world, it's a loss, and it is what it is. It's not my thing. That's not what happened. He stepped into the role of his brother, and that's where the clouds of glory returned because he exuded that energy as well. He played both roles. ish, Be that ish. Where there's no one else around, be the ish. Be the man. Again, not, not gender specific. Be the person that the world needs. Be there for the other. So somebody needs something. It's like, oh, I would love to help, but it's not, I don't do that. I don't do that. Who asked you? Do it anyway. You, it's not your thing. It's not comfortable. Okay, Life is not comfortable. Moses was comfortable wearing Aaron's hat? No. He did it anyway. He did it anyway because that is what happens. That's what you do when the world needs it. Let's take a look at this and we'll conclude with this text. Let's read about this in the Rebbe's teachings. Text 12b, the last text. Uh, whatever. Second, the last text that we're going to read. Text 12b, page 190. I'm going to read this. It's unbelievable. Listen to this. 12b. When Aaron and Miriam passed away, the clouds of glory in the well disappeared, yet they returned in Moses' merit. This can only mean, again, on a spiritual level, that Moses pivoted and adopted a new approach. I mean, he didn't leave his other. He, he adopted a, another approach. Moses' personal approach was that of a shepherd congruent with the mana, yet he apparently adopted a new approach that was able to bring back clouds of glory. What is the true sign of a real Jewish leader when he or she doesn't limit themselves to their own natural approach? Instead, when the hour demands it, they forego their personal preferences, put themselves aside, and dedicate themselves to the needs of another Jew. If the hour demands that another Jew be drawn closer to God, no matter how spiritually primitive they may be, a real Jewish leader sets aside their personal, sets their personal preferences aside and teaches them Another Jew alphabet. This can mean either literal alphabet or the alphabet of simple Torah matters, i.e., the basics. In other words, you don't say, Well, I'm a high level Torah scholar and I teach high level Torah academics. Somebody needs to learn alphabet. It's not my issue. It is your issue. I mean, if there's someone else around, if, if you can, if you got multiple people, great. But if you're the only one around, you got to do it. 
And then somebody might say, I'm, the, I'm like the high priest, so what am I doing in a cemetery? Others might say. So others might say, I'm an advanced Torah scholar, so why do I need to busy myself with returning a lost object whom the Talmud states is exempt from such activities? This is beneath my dignity. It's just not my thing. I'm a leader, and my thing is to instruct other leaders on how to lead the Jewish nation. I'm not only a leader, I'm a leader of leaders. Aha. So I don't get involved in people. I'm a leader of leaders. I'm like, I'll give the seminar on how to be a leader. I certainly have no business coming in contact with people of questionable religious scruples. Moses was not like that. When Aaron and Miriam passed away and there was no one left to tend to the matter, the leader of the Jewish people himself turned his attention to the matter and dealt with it, even if it wasn't necessarily befitting his dignity. Again, the Rebbe is speaking kind of, the translation also makes it sound, sound pretty vague. I just want to make sure that, there's no, that no one walks away from this class with any, any misunderstanding. It's very simple. Aaron loved, Aaron loved indiscriminately. Aaron, lo- Aaron loved everybody. You're a child of God. I love you. Moses was a shepherd. He was a little bit more discerning. This, that, or that. He still respected everybody, but everyone had their own thing. But when push came to shove, Moses, when, i.e. when Aaron died, and there was no one left to fill that role, Moses filled that role. Moses filled his brother's role. And what he did was, he started loving everyone. Started. He started expressing the love. You know, some people are, are, are not so demonstrative of love. You know, some people, like, they love, but they're not, like, touchy-feely warm. And maybe like within parents, maybe one parent is like this and one parent is like that. But you know what? If, if the need is there, then you got to be both parents. That is what it is. For whatever reason, I don't have to get into scenarios, who cares? You got you to be, you got to be, sometimes you got to be both parents. Sometimes you have to be both, sometimes you have to be a Moses and Aaron. You're a scholar, you're going to teach. Because like every, you know, everyone has different levels. That's Moses. Moses is like levels, like different levels. So you're a scholar, you're going to teach high level scholars. What about Alpes? Somebody needs to learn Alves. Somebody needs to run a school. Step into the role. Step into the role. You can't stand on ceremony and say, oh, it's not for me. It's not for you. There's a fire burning. It's not for me. It's not for me. It's, been, it's beneath my dignity. The Rebbe said so many times, there's a fire burning in the world. I mean, quite literally. Look what's going on. The world needs goodness and kindness and spirituality and morality. The world needs a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning. The world desperately needs it. Desperately needs it. I got a text from the yeshiva in Chicago on Sunday. Sunday? Yes. It says, a few hours ago, there was a shooting. On Monday. A few hours ago, there was a shooting. And there were four yeshiva students at the parade two blocks away by the Chabad Center with Rabbi Shanowitz with a tefillin stand. Two blocks away. The world is burning. And so who of us has the luxury of saying, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. It's not my problem. I'm not Aaron. It's not my problem. But Malcolm Shane Ish, Hishtadel, Yotish. When there's no one around, be the person. Step into the role. It's not my role. I'm not a leader. (laughs) Well, then become one. Even if you're not, be one anyway. Play one on TV, as they say. Doesn't matter. Be it. Moses, imagine Moses says, I'm not, uh, I'm not a lover of the people. I'm like, um, I'm a leader. I'll tell you, I'll give you guidance, individual spiritual guidance. I'm like, I love you, I'm going to give you hugs. I'm not a hugger, right? I'm not a hugger. Moses, I'm not, I'm not a hugger. I don't hug everybody. I don't hug. I'll give you uh, counseling. I'm not going to hug you. And I, my brother was the hugger. But who's going to hug? Who's going to hug? He's dead. Who's going to hug now? Moses hugged. And so God says, you're hugging, I'm also going to hug. Here the clouds. That's the message. The message is, we had a lot of insights tonight. 
difference between clouds and Aaron and Moses and clouds versus manna. We have all these certain things. But I don't want you to, I don't want anyone to lose the plot. The purpose of tonight's class is to say simply, when there's a need, don't hide behind the quote or the, the verbiage, it's not my thing. Please don't hide behind that. It's not my thing. It doesn't matter if it's your thing. Do it anyway. Do, the other person needs it. The world needs it. And ultimately, you need it also. Because if God puts us in a situation, by divine providence, it means one thing, that we have the ability to do something about it. The Baal Shem Tov said, everything we hear and see, everything that comes to our consciousness is a lesson, is, is t- telling us a lesson. And sometimes the lesson is do something about it. Don't push it to someone else. Let's say it's Aaron's job. It's a leader's job. It's a, it's a preschool teacher's job. You be the one. The previous Rebbe single-handedly fought against communism as communism's attempt to crush Yiddishkeit. And the fact that there's, I know Russia's complicated today, the fact that there's, that there's Judaism flourishing in that part of the world is, it's not even a question, is because of Lubavitch, Chabad, it's because of the previous Rebbe and his network of shluchim. And you know what they did? They built mikvahs and they had chadarim and schools for little kids and olive base. They risked their lives for this stuff. These were high-level scholars, and they risked their lives for the basics. Because there's no luxury. You don't have the luxury of being a Tamar Chacham. You don't have the luxury of being a scholar, high-level. I'm going ex- to seclude myself and write books all day. You don't have the luxury. Judaism is at risk in the former Soviet Union. You have to do something about it. The world is burning today. We all need to be leaders. We all need to step up. That's the message of tonight's class. Aaron dies, Moses steps in. Totally against character. It doesn't matter. There is no character anymore. There's a need. Characters go out the window. And so with this, I encourage everyone, and my blessing for myself and for everyone is, step into the role. Step into that role. I'm leaving it vague because everyone knows what they could step into if they had the courage. Step into that role. Make that difference. Make that difference. Doesn't matter. Right. Joel said, even if you don't have the courage. Eh, Who cares about courage? Courage is overrated. John Wayne said, bravery, courage is not, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing here. It's not 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 being afraid. It's being scared as hell and doing it anyway. Right? That's what courage and bravery is. You can be scared. It doesn't matter. Be scared. Do it anyway. Go, go running and kicking, screaming and kicking into it. It's not my job. It's not my thing. Sure. Do it anyway. Never let that stuff get in the way of doing what needs to be done. Thank you for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. I hope this is inspiring. And um, I hope that we all step into our roles. Yes. In the merit of Miriam, all's well that ends well. Oh, well done. In the merit of, I'm going to repeat it just in case people unzoomed in here. In the, in the merit of Miriam, all's well that ends well. Joel, listen. If there's no one else, if there's no one making that joke, there's no one making the bad joke, you step into that role. Well done. Well, well done. I can vouch. Be'er. Be'er. Bet, Aleph, Resh. Be'er. Yes, Yaakov. Do you, uh, do you guys know why, even if there was no man, no mana, the Jews would never have starved. They would have had plenty to eat. 
Tell me. Because of all the sand which is there. Because of all the sand. All the sand which is there. Sand which. <laughs> now we have a competition. We have a competition for jokes. Yes. Read only 12.5% of the Torah. An atheist. Oh! Oh, you guys heard that? Sharna said, somebody, somebody, some, excellent joke. Hold on. Someone who only read 12.5% of the Bible is called an atheist. An atheist. An atheist. What, a, what do you call someone who has only, who lost 75% of their spine? A quarterback. Uh, <laughs> These are terrible jokes. I don't know. I don't know how we got into this. By the way, who told me? Oh, Leah told me recently. She's like, I think she said this. She's like, back in the day, we used to call these corny jokes. Yeah. But now we call them dad jokes. But it's, but it's the same thing. Somehow it's just been rebranded. It's the same. It's the same. Yeah, dad jokes like a whole genre. But it's just a bad corny joke. Straight up. I guess dad. Get, yeah. Yeah. That happened with Leo. My son, when, he was, when they were like in Yeshiva. I'm going to repeat the story in a second. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. What they would do is they would drive on Friday to put on the phone with people. So they walk, this guy had his feet sticking out from this car, a mechanic. And so my son said, are you Jewish? And this big guy pushed out, yeah, what's it to you? He said, you put on the villain. And the guy went and cleaned up and put on Nice. So Marnin said about his son, Ariel, he was in yeshiva. And they went out, usually Friday afternoons, went out to hit the streets. Do you know where he was? Was he in California, Pittsburgh? No, it, was Pittsburgh. it was Pittsburgh. And he goes out and he sees the mechanic like under a car, uh, feet sticking out. And he says to him, hey, are you Jewish? And he, the guy pushes out with a, uh, a big, big burly guy and he says, yeah, what's it to you? He says, did you put on phone yet today? He's like, no. He's like, okay. And they uh, he cleaned up and, uh, and wrapped. So, yeah, it's, the idea is the Rebbe was, I, you know, the Re- I, I feel like giving you a bit of a, everyone knows the end result of the Rebbe's vision, because this is it, but understand how it got here. Understand how it got here. Because the the fact that there's Chabad in every place around the world, anyone who travels, you go to, uh, um, you go to, why can't I think of any places? Tokyo, you go to Vietnam, you go to Costa Rica, you go to the Congo, you go to LA, you go to South America, it doesn't matter where you go. There's Chabad around, right? There's Chabad around. Like everywhere you go, there's Chabad. Like Everyone knows it, right? Chabad and Coca-Cola. Right. So, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Where does this come from? Listen to this. This came from tonight's class. Where the Rebbe said, yeah, you could sit in Yeshiva. You could sit in Kol. You could sit in Crown Heights. You could sit and become scholars and tell me the Chachamim and open up Yeshivas and do all these wonderful things. You could stay in a holy realm. You could stay in Brooklyn and build the community as massive with shuls and everything. Get out of town. Go away. <laughs> Move. Go to Timbuktu and find a Jew there and wrap tefillin. And that's going to be your calling. Yeah, but I have such, I'm such a scholar. That's the need. The world doesn't need... I mean, I, I'm paraphrasing. I didn't actually say this, but what's the greater need? Where's the fire? 
not enough uh, books being published or assimilation and, and the world just crumbling in, in many ways. What's the bigger risk right now? Think about it. Where's the need? Where's the need? The need isn't, the rabbi had a clear vision of what the need is. The rabbi said, we're going to create an army. We're going to create a movement to go out there. And I can't tell you how many brilliant scholars I know who are campus shluchim. You know what they do on campus primarily? They cook food for college students for Friday night. And they invite them into their homes, into their Chabad houses on campus, and they become their parents. They listen to all the tsaras about classes and relationships and boyfriends and girlfriends and all sorts of things. And this guy could have been, was, is a top, top scholar. And now he's counseling college students and feeding them. And you know what? That's exactly where Ishtachas is. Exactly where it needs to be. Because that's where the need is. Because these kids are the future of Judaism. If they're lost, we don't have a next generation. And the amount of work that Chabad on campus has done is absolutely staggering. Absolutely staggering. It's unbelievable the transformation that happens on campus. And anyone that has a kid on campus... And I see, Rosita, you're shaking your head. And yes, any person that has had their kid in a college campus, certainly in America, over the last 15 years, will tell you just how incredible Chabad is. Not to take away from anyone else. Not, not, I'm not excluding Hillel or anything else. But we're supposed to be on Chabad. The Rebbe took, not community activists, the Rebbe took scholars and said, you have to move go out into the field, go out and become a chef, become an Aaron, and welcome everyone into your home and embrace everyone. And embrace. Become a Moses and feed him. Moses and feed him, right? Moses the scholar, but right, in the sense Moses feed him, but with this love, with this unequivocal, right, undiscerning even love. Everyone's welcome. Everyone comes in. Everyone's loved here. That's the core of a Chabad house. And again, the Rebbe took Moseses and made them Aaron's. Not made them, he didn't make anybody. But the Rebbe encouraged Moseses to adopt Aaron's. And again, the lesson for all of us is the same thing. No matter what your Moses or Aaron is, when the need arises, when the need is there, let's do it. All right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out for tonight because I know it's getting late. Thank you all for joining. It's great to see you all. See you online crew. We'll see you soon. Hope you enjoyed the class. And of course, in-person crew, babka and cookies. See you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Lila Tov. See you guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at intownjewishacademy.org and on YouTube at intownjewishacademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.